Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website as well as on this podcast. My guest today is Guy DeCarafelt, founder and CTO of Cognitive Space. Guy, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit, first of all, about some of the basics of cognitive space. You've said the company is, and I'll quote here, disrupting the space industry through intelligent infrastructure for satellite operators. So in layman's terms, what does that mean? Yeah. So um, as you know, you know, the space industry is going through very rapid growth uh, uh, right now and expected to grow 10, 20 folds over the next 10 years. Um, and for that growth to actually realize, uh, you know, be realized, you need to mature the infrastructure. Um, and so that's where we come in. We're building the uh, automation in, in the infrastructure for the, for the new space industry. Um, the way, you know, operators uh, are operating satellites today um, is, is, is improving, but it's uh, still using a lot of old, old methods. And so, um, just like, uh, you know, telephone went through, you know, exponential growth after automation, uh, the thing, the same will be true through for the space, uh, space industry where automation will really enable, uh, the scaling of this industry. Let's talk about your background just a little bit. How did you get started, um, in this field? Sure. Yeah. So my background is in aerospace engineering, I worked uh, for uh, many years at uh, at NASA as a contractor and a consultant. Um, I did a lot of work in uh, critical flight software uh, systems for, say, the Orion spacecraft um, and uh, uh, high-fidelity simulation modeling for, uh, say, the crew training facility and many other systems. Um, also did some uh, command and control for spacecrafts and a short stint at uh, Firefly in Austin uh, as a, a GNC engineer. But um, this is not your first entrepreneurial effort. I noticed on your bio on LinkedIn that you had a company that developed a software app for food trucks. How, how does that tie into what it is that you're doing now? Yeah, very loosely. I mean, um, <laughs> that was my first foray as a, an entrepreneur, you could say. Um, didn't go uh, as, as well as I had hoped. Um, uh, it was basically uh, building an app for helping food trucks find, uh, you know, schedule their, their, uh, their where they're going to be. But um, it was the wrong market. And uh, frankly, I, had, I didn't have the right background to go into that market mm. in the first place. So lesson learned there was stick with aerospace and, uh, and uh, yeah, do what you do best. So along those lines, do you consider yourself a serial entrepreneur? Um, I, I wouldn't say that. This is the first uh, company that, uh, you know, is is uh is is operational and it's successful um so before that it was uh, more of a uh, uh you know playground for me to learn uh, learn the ropes now a lot of folks like you would have had you know you, you had stable jobs in reputable companies with government agencies and yet you came out and started your own company what you led you into the entrepreneurship angle of the new space economy yeah, it's a it's a bit um, uh, masochist in a way uh, because, <laughs> like you say, you know, uh, leaving a stable job um, is not necessarily easy. As, as you know, same time as raising a, a new newborn child with my wife, um, not not the easiest path, but uh, definitely rewarding. And I think uh, 
Uh, I take it a lot from my father in terms of, uh, you know, not accepting how things are, but seeing how, how things can be improved and, uh, you know, uh, making a go at it and, and actually trying to make a difference. And, and so that's, that's sort of uh, where I got that from. What was the thought process into leading you to start cognitive space and how did you find that niche? Yeah. Um, so like I mentioned, I, you know, I worked a lot at NASA and NASA does incredible things, right? They, mm. they built uh, spacecraft or deep space and, and they do what they do very well. Uh, but you know, the way they do their systems, their systems. And, you know, from my experience there is, is, you know, very exquisite systems, but it doesn't scale well and it, it's not well suited for what, where the industry is going. Um, and so I've always had an interest in uh, AI and machine learning and, and cloud and technology and things like that. And so I, um, uh, you know, I, I saw bigger potential and better ways of doing things when it come to, when it came to, uh, you know, where the market's going and where the new space is going. Um, and having, you know, a lot of friends in the industry um, and from my background, I, I quickly under, I realized that, uh, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, potential applications for automation and AI in the space industry to really scale this industry. What kinds of applications are those? I mean, what, what can you do through AI that makes mm. it all more efficient? So, um, you know, operating a satellite, uh, one, two, three satellites is quite different than operating a fleet of satellites, say 12, 20, you know, even 100 or, or even 1,000, um, you know, where, you know, it, it's, it becomes a, uh, an optimization problem for one, but also, you know, capacity management and, uh, you know, everything ties in then to, to you know, business logic, et cetera. Um, so it, it becomes a very different problem than, than your command and control, you know, traditional operating of a single satellite. Um, and so there's a lot of room there for, for automation. And frankly, you, you can't get around it. You need automation in order to do that at, at, at that scale. Let's talk about your team a little bit. And I understand that you're currently hiring and you have actually just added a new staff member. We have. Yeah. Yeah. Quite exciting. Um, and I guess this is the first, first time I'll be, uh, we'll be sharing this news, but we'll be releasing, uh, uh, you know, a public press release pretty soon, but, uh, we've, uh, we have uh, Scott Herman joining us as CEO, so he'll be taking over that role. Um, and uh, it's very exciting news. Uh, he comes with a very rich background in uh, remote sensing, uh, having previously been CTO at Black Sky and mm-hmm. uh, several other companies. So super exciting news. Who else is on your team? So we have uh, we have a very senior staff of uh, aerospace engineers, cloud cloud and cybersecurity, data scientists, and uh, full stack developers. What 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 led you to decide to kind of give up the reins as CEO because you had been listed as chief executive officer of the company. You founded the company. What yeah. made you feel like you needed somebody different to take on that leadership role? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, obviously I started the company myself. Um, I was wearing all every hat and uh, I was looking frankly for, you know, the, the, um, the, the right person to, to hand off the right hats. And, uh, I, you know, met, uh, Scott through the tech stars, program through that we completed last summer. Um, and I quickly realized that, uh, you know, he, he would wear it better than I could. Um, and, uh, one of the values of the company is seek excellence. And so that was my, uh, my, um, uh, engagement in terms of seeking excellence and finding someone that can, that can really take that role, uh, better than I can, frankly. And I'm uh, as CTO now. I can focus on uh, you know, moving the technology forward, and it's something that's very uh, exciting. So that's that's far more what your interest is in is doing the technology piece as opposed to actually running the business. 
I mean, I, not that I, I, I shy away from that. Uh, in, mm-hmm. in fact, I'm, I'm still very heavily involved in, uh, you know, engaging with, uh, with companies and, and, and defense, uh, and so on. Uh, but, um, you know, there's, there's just so many things one can do. Uh, and so, you know, um, bringing on someone like Scott at that, of, of that caliber is, is really exciting and really is going to move the, the, the company uh, forward uh, at an accelerated pace. Let's talk a little bit more about the business in general and specifically what kinds of problems does co- cognitive space solve for satellite operators? Yeah. So uh, the f- number one, it's, it's uh, improving, uh, you know, the, the capacity of your satellites and how uh, streamlining the, the operations and how you're, you're making use of your systems. And uh, as a, uh, it's it's enabling these satellite operators to uh, to help them be uh, you know viable businesses uh, because one of the you know their key asset is their space assets and so how do you do how how do you maximize the use of those assets um, is uh, is key to their business and so that's that's where we come in. If you could be just maybe a little bit more specific, I know that the satellite sure. constellations are growing both in numbers and complexity. And one of your products is called Sentient. And how does that product help in allowing companies to control these large constellations of satellites? Yeah. So Sentient is a uh, is is primarily, I'd say, a uh, emission planning and optimization tool to really uh, manage a large scale constellation system uh, constellations of satellites in uh, understanding uh, you know how to fulfill their their pipeline of, of missions. Uh, while considering all the priorities and constraints that they have to to fly under, both technical and business constraints, um, and and then how does that translate to uh, to an, a practical and executable uh, schedule that they can uh, they, they can then uh, uh, you know uh, gather their 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 imagery or trans, uh, transfer their data. Can you tell me a little bit about how it works? Uh, I'm. Briefly, I mean, it's it's based without giving on, away anything uh, proprietary, obviously. Right, right, right. So we, we use uh, machine learning technology. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically, it's called uh, deep reinforcement learning, um, which is a technology that's been used in the academic world uh, to train, uh, uh, you know, gaming engines to to beat world champions. So we're using that same same type of technology uh, in our uh, through our, our synthetic. Uh, uh, system in a cloud environment and serving that uh, through through APIs and, and web web interfaces um, as a uh, you know you can, you can call it a, a SaaS product. Take me through maybe kind of a specific example, a hypothetical example of of what that might look like to the end user. Yeah, um, sure. I mean, uh, an end user might have one or multiple payloads on their satellite uh, sensors. And they need to optimize against, uh, say, cloud cover. Um, you know how how do they uh, take imagery? Um, uh, you know, considering uh, uh, you know the, the the different priorities that they have to they have to account for from their from their customer, um, and then uh, doing optimizing against, say, uh, coverage for area coverage or uh, for latency or what have you. You know, you can, you can optimize against many different metrics. Um, but uh, you know that's that's something we can tailor our system against, and, and so it's it's really a solution to to, to that uh, Saudi operating can, can bring in and uh, really optimize their uh, their schedules. Talk to me about your customer acquisition. How do companies find out about you, and how do they how how do you talk to them about the value that 
um, that your company can can provide them? Sure. Um, so right now, I mean, the, the it's uh, you know before before the pandemic, it was a lot of meeting uh, and greeting through conferences and mm. such. But now it's more um, you know uh, just through referrals and meeting, uh, uh, reaching out the right people. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's 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 all about understanding where they are in their growth in, in terms of uh, their operations and. Uh, uh, and and how they're applying to scale their operations and coming in and, and showcasing our product and and uh, you know coming to uh, an understanding of how can we help them maximize the use of their systems. Now you've got another product that I want to talk about briefly, just in light of the Colonial Pipeline hack. There's been a lot more awareness on computer and network security, and that can mm-hmm. also be applied to space commerce. And your product is called Flow Vault, which is a cybersecurity solution. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, Flow Vault is a uh, another product that uh, we worked on uh, for the UK government, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's an effort to uh, help on multi-level security uh, management, data flow management. Um, so that's that's one effort. But in terms of cy- cybersecurity in general. Uh, because of the, you know, by virtue of working with the Air Force, um, we have to a- adopt very stringent uh, requirements when it comes to, you know, what they call DevSecOps. Um, and so, you know, that's things like, you know, proper encryption, two-factor authentica- authentication, restrictions of access, and things like that. So we've had to adopt a lot of these these uh, these best practices uh, for the product itself. And, uh, you know, our product, uh, you know, the, 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 what we offer is scalability, resilience, uh, uh, sorry, rely, reliability uh, and uh, security. Uh, and so, you know, cybersecurity is something we take very se- seriously. Um, and, uh, and, and frankly, you know, our customers also uh, take it seriously uh, because, uh, you know, a breach like you saw uh, can be devastating. How does that tie in with the sentient product? Uh, obviously, people are going to be very concerned about potential hacks on their satellites, on their data, and that mm-hmm. could be devastating to a company or even to uh, an economy. So, is is there a is there a connection between those two products? Is there is there a, something that you're offering that would help make satellites more secure? Yeah, I mean, by virtue of of you know, being a, 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 a secure SaaS solution uh, that, uh, you know, we, like I said, we adopt best practices and we're, we're hosted on uh, uh, AWS CovCloud, which has extra restrictions in terms of, of access. And, uh, you know, the, the, the approach we take is to be, you know, very, uh, to take the, the data security uh, uh, very seriously. Um, you know, just like a, a company now would be uh, ill-suited to build out their own cloud systems in-house um, uh, because of issues like cybersecurity and proper, uh, you know, you need the, the expertise in house to doing that. Now there's a push, you know, most companies now will work with AWS or with uh, Azure or what have you. Um, and for the same reasons, it makes a lot of sense to work with a company like Cognitive Space to off to, uh, to take care of your, your, uh, your satellite operations uh, because we have, you know, in-house expertise, not only in the operations side, but uh, also in cybersecurity. So, uh, you can be rest assured that uh, you know that that part is is secure. You're listening to the Xterra podcast. I'm Tom Patton, and I'm chatting with Guy de Carafel, founder and CTO of Cognitive Space. Guy, you're one of the portfolio companies of the Space Fund, which just announced the completion of their first VC fund. How was that? Uh, how was that experience? How were they to work with? Yeah, uh, Space Fund's been great. Uh, they've been a great partner for us. Uh, 
really exciting to have uh, to have them as an investor. Um, they uh, their premise is all about modernizing the infrastructure. You know what they call their the you know investing in pick, pickaxes of the of the new space domain. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know we we fit pretty well in that uh, in that premise. Um, and uh, yeah, they they know the industry inside out, and so they're a great partner to uh, to work with. How important is that kind of help when you're establishing a business? I mean, it's 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 very important to have um, a, uh, you know a company like that that has the deep expertise uh, back you and and you know put in uh, real money in into uh, into the company is a, is a true validation point and really helped us uh, um, you know go in go on and, and raise even more with with other investors that maybe that didn't necessarily have that uh, space expertise and and so uh, yeah truly important. Where do you see cognitive space right now as far as the maturity of the company? Where do you put yourself on the spectrum of between startup and fully mature operational company? Well, it depends what your definition of a startup is, because, uh, you know, some people would call, uh, say, even uh, you know, Uber a startup in, in some circles. <laughs> but, uh, so, so, I mean, we're definitely a startup uh, still. We've been operating uh, for Company is about three years old now. Uh, we have been operating uh, in, in active setting uh, for the Air Force, and now working on uh, uh, more uh, more a new focus on the commercial space. Um, so you know, definitely, uh, definitely on the uh, on the early side of things. But uh, uh, you'll be uh, you'll be hearing from us uh, uh, much more in the coming years. Where do you see cognitive space in the next few years? Yeah. So. Uh, we'll be engaged with several satellite operators. Uh, we'll be working with uh, several partners as uh, adjacent services, um, and uh, you know we'll be uh, we'll be a an important component to the infrastructure and the, and the new space industry. When you talk about artificial intelligence as it relates to operating satellites, is there a point where perhaps? The, the human factor is largely out of satellite operations. Do you see that um, these large constellations of satellites will become somewhat autonomous other than when people go up and grab data out of them? Yeah, I mean, satellites will become IoT devices in a way. Uh, you'll have, uh, there'll be devices that just happen to be in space and there'll be remote devices that you'll be uh, talking to and they'll be integrated within an overall system. Um, now you'll always need to have uh, human supervision, at least uh, for the foreseeable future, to make sure that uh, they're doing you know the right thing, they have the right priorities, and, and so on. But as far as day-to-day operations, all of that will be eventually all automated. Um, so yeah. No, go on. no, no, go ahead. I didn't want to mean to cut off your thought there. Yeah. No. Um, I no. That's 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 yeah. <laughs> and and I guess the follow-on question to that that comes to mind is. Does it eventually become a common carrier kind of situation? Does satellite data eventually get to the point where it's like the telephone company or um, natural gas or the internet, which is essentially a common carrier that's available to everyone? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, each satellite operator offers different value to their customer. Uh, They have different uh, payloads. They have different models in terms of how they, they serve their customer. And so, you know, there's, there's still, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a common, uh, a common service that, uh, you know, if you need imagery, you just 
ask whoever and you'll you'll get that imagery. You know, there's still particular particularities in, from providers. Um, so so yeah, I guess you'll, you'll get different different flavors of that, but it will become more of a an integrated system uh, eventually where. It'll be a much more um, commonplace in, in, in every other industry to have access to satellite systems. And let's look out over the next 10 to 15 years at space commerce in general, because we're all kind of on the cusp of a very nascent industry right now. What do you think space commerce is going to look like over the next decade or so? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but my 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 prediction is that, uh, I mean, space will become, uh, you know, we say new space, but, you know, space itself in orbit will be, be an important uh, market on its own where you're going to have space tourists and, and in, in space uh, servicing and you'll have to, you know, t- take, uh, keep track of, of active uh, traffic management and you'll have uh, installations on the moon and eventually Mars. Um, all that will happen in the next 15 years. Um, and, and so for that infrastructure to actually, you know, develop and, and take hold, um, you know, you're going to need a lot of different services and a lot of different uh, aspects of that, uh, of that industry. And uh, we hope to be uh, an important part of that. So does then the, the satellite industry become infrastructure or is it now? Um, is it something that will be a building block for whatever comes next? Yeah, I, I believe so. I, I mean, it's an exciting it's an exciting time to be here. Um, you know, the you know the prospect of being able to uh, you know to 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 do you know, to vacation do a vacation on the moon or or uh, you know have uh, movies filmed on the moon or things like that and and uh, all the benefits that space brings to the Earth uh, directly in terms of climate change and monitoring and and uh, economic economic and national security. Um, you know, the, the space will become more and more prevalent in, in, uh, in our everyday life. And that's quite exciting. So is that infrastructure changing or maturing in any way? What's happening in that field that might bring about some interesting changes in the future? Yeah. So, you know, the way we operate satellites is, is changing, uh, you know, very rapidly and, uh, you know, just has, you used to be, when you wanted to set up satellites, you had to basically build the whole thing yourself. Um, you had to build the hardware, even the payload. And that changed uh, That changed over the last uh, 15, 15 years or so, where a lot of companies now offered hardware that you could buy and, and assemble your satellites for you. And so the the commoditization of the, of the satellite um, allowed for that. And then in the same vein, uh, you know, ground systems, you, has, you, had, you used to have to build your systems your, yourself, um, and now you have services like AWS and KSAT and many others uh, that you can then outsource your ground systems. Uh, and, and so in the same, the same idea, um, you know, we're offering a, a way to outsource your mission planning and your, your, your satellite operations um, that uh, traditionally you have to build in-house. And so it's a, it's a, it's a way to, all, to, to streamline that process and standardize it and uh, really uh, mature the infrastructure in, in that uh, next step. Is commercial off-the-shelf hardware playing a role in that as well? Yeah, I mean you have to um, you have to be compatible with that, um, and in terms of you know uh, communication protocols and things like that, uh, there's some efforts there to uh, in, in the industry in general to standardize those. Uh, and so you know all of these all of these efforts and standardizing and um, you know helps the industry in stream being more streamlined, more efficient, and uh, frankly be more viable as a as a business case. 
Well, Guy, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. It's been an interesting conversation. And if there is there anything else that you need people to know about cognitive space before I let you go? Uh, no, it's been it's been great. Thanks very much, Tom. Appreciate it. That is going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. You can find us on the web at xterrajsc.com and be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter at xterrajsc. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for listening.